We at Prisma are so pleased to present three podcasts produced by the Jewish Education Innovation Challenge, JEIC, on approaches to teaching about God in Jewish day schools. This podcast features Rabbi David Aaron of Araita in Jerusalem, speaking with JEIC's founding director, Rabbi Shmuel Feld, about the importance of speaking about God in a way that resonates with students and enables them to live with greater vitality. Tashma, come learn and enjoy the rich conversation. Hey, Rabbi. Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. How are you doing, sir? Baruch Hashem. Outstanding. We're going to interview you regarding the ideas of how you would teach about God. So let's start from the beginning. How do you introduce the notion of God to students? Uh, well, first I would start off with asking them, what does God mean to them? Because uh, we have to start where they're at, not where we're at. And let's hear uh, some of the things they say about God. And then I would ask them, um, what do you feel when you think about God? Uh, because if you recall, we had that discussion about branding, and that one of the keys to branding is, is what do people feel when they think about your product? So in this case, Hashem's not a product, but, but in this case, what do people feel when they think about God? If they feel happy, then uh, good. I'm not sure how much more education we're going to need if Anochi Esmach Hashem. That's terrific. I think the problem is that there are those people that feel nothing, which is a lot better than those people who feel bad. Right. Uh, people who feel good, when, you, when they think about God, they feel loved, they feel uh, uh, supported, they feel, um, they feel empowered, then that's great. But uh, the problem is, what about the people that when they think about God, they feel judged? Uh, they feel, they feel um, um, dis, disempowered. Uh, they feel sad. They feel scared. I think a lot of people think you're supposed to feel scared when you think about God, and they've decided that that's the shot on Yirat Shemayim. So uh, I think we want to start off with, what do they feel when they think about God? I would actually think it would be better to start there and then get them to a cognitive, more cognitive thing. Let's talk about your feelings. When you think about God, what do you feel? And then I would say, then we go to the next thing, which, so, so, so what does God mean to you? Give me uh, your understanding of God. Uh, then I would explore, where did you get your understanding of God? You know? Uh, I think a lot of people got their understanding of God kind of like around. I'm not sure how many actually had a discussion about what do we actually mean when we say God. Um, I, I, would, I would start there. I would start there. So when you talk about God as an, as an entity in that, in, that, in that situation, how do you have them set up a personal relationship or even the national relationship with God. How, do, how, is that, how does that help uh, set that up? You're, you're investigating the essence of God, but how they set up a relationship with God. Well, there's first a, um, 
a kind of an intuition. You know, like I say, I don't know what gravity looks like, but I know there's gravity in my life when I feel a force pulling me down. And so too, I, I don't know what God looks like, but I feel God in my life when I feel a force pulling me up. For me, the experience of God is an experience whereby I feel, so to speak, called upon to improve, to do better, to uh, bring greater good to the world. Uh, to me, that's my direct experience of God. When I feel a sense of called upon, you know, what I call it is this. All we know about Hashem are his midos. Whatever we say about Hashem is really his midos. We say that Hashem is chacham. We say that Hashem is, 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 is kind and compassionate and just. And, and so, uh, but, but the truth is, Hashem doesn't have midos. Because, and the Rambam talks about this, if Hashem had midot, then we would be describing a ribui, a plurality within the divine. There'd be Hashem with super additum are his midos. So Hashem doesn't have midos, he is his midos, even though his midos are not him. In other words, I'm Rabbi Aaron. Rabbi Aaron is not who I am, because I'm also a father. And a father's not who I am, I'm also a son. And a son's not who I am, but I am a father. That is who I am, although I'm much more than that. So when we talk about Hashem, we have to realize that all we can talk about is Hashem's midos and Hashem's retzot. Is Ratzon. And actually, that's also brought down that Hashem doesn't have a Ratzon. He actually is his Ratzon. Ah, you, we have a Ratzon. But Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't have a Ratzon. Hashem is his Ratzon, although he is much greater than his Ratzon. So this is what I do. I ask um, my students, I say, how many of you here love life? They all put up their hands. I said, okay. How many of you here love love? They all put up their hands. It's good. Terrific. How many of you here love wisdom? Sure. How many of you here love peace? Yeah. Love kindness? Sure. Compassion? Yeah. Truth? Justice? Yeah. I said, okay. So then you love God. Whoa, wait a second. What's that got to do with God? That is what God means to us. All we know about Hashem is His Midos. Hashem doesn't have a midos of love. I feel love in my heart, but I'm not the root of love. I am not love itself. A Kodesh Baruch Hu is love, although love is not a Kodesh Baruch Hu. A Kodesh Baruch Hu is much greater than love. But the midah of chesed, the midah of rachamim, a Kodesh Baruch Hu is his midot, although his midot are not him. So if anybody says, you know, just like it says, ki hu chayecha, he is your life. I say, you want to feel Hashem here? Take your pulse. Is that you beating your heart? Are, are you beating your heart right now? You know, a hundred thousand times our heart beat in one day. A hundred thousand times. In one year, it's something like 35 million times our heart beats. Did I do one of those beats? Even one of those beats? Can I say that I am the life force? I'm not the life force. So, 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 Kihu Chayecha, Akash Baruch Hu is your life, not figuratively like music is my life, 
Art is my life. Akadosh Baruch Hu isn't my life figuratively. Akadosh Baruch Hu is life itself. Akadosh Baruch Hu is life. Life is not Akadosh Baruch Hu. Akadosh Baruch Hu is even greater than life. So if a person loves life and loves love and loves compassion, then they love what we call God. Well, what about fearing God? How many of you here fear losing life? Everybody. <laughs> Who here is concerned about losing love? Everybody. You know, who here is concerned about losing their connection to peace? Everybody. That's what Yer Shemayim is. To have Yer of Hashem is, I'm not afraid he's going to hurt me. I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt me. I'm afraid that I'm going to behave in a way that will disconnect me consciously from my connection to life, love, peace, kindness, truth, which are all the faces of a shell. And so we start experientially, most atheists don't understand that they're actually profound believers. Rav Cook says this. Rav Cook says that there are believers that are actually atheists, and there are atheists that are actually believers. If a person says, I don't believe in God, but I believe that my life could be meaningful, what? Well, how did you put that together? I don't believe in God. I believe in love. I believe in truth. I, I believe in, 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 in doing good and being good, and I don't need God for that. You, you know, what do you mean you don't need God for that? God is that. <laughs> That's what it means, God. Even the word God, God, the word God, probably, I mean, obviously comes from the word good, as the root of good. And God is really the personification of all good. A person who believes in good. A person who says, I want good to rule the world. A person who says, I want to live my life in serving a cause greater than myself. I want to serve to bring more good to the world. That's the same thing as saying bringing more God to the world. The problem is that we've kind of a little bit over-characterized uh, God to the point that he is a cartoon for people. He's become a caricature. And so we talk about Hashem like we talk about, you know, people. I'm not saying that Hashem is any less than a person. He's infinitely greater than a person. But make, what makes a person a person and not a rock? Well, first of all, uh, a, a person cares. I've not met a rock yet that cares. Well, so, so that makes a person personable because they care. So if I'm personable because I have the attribute of care, what would that make the one who is the attribute of care and even more? Certainly more personal than I am. So I don't, I don't perceive Hashem as being impersonal. But to me, Hashem is manifest as love, kindness, compassion, truth, justice, uh, um, peace, all the midot of a Kaddish Baruch Hu that he doesn't have, but he actually is. He is his midot. So if a person says um, that they want to live a life that matters, and then they say in the same sentence, and I don't believe in God, there's a disconnect. If there is no God, and this is all one big accident that just happened, it came from nowhere, and it's going nowhere, then 
other than trying to convince myself that my life matters, what about my life could at all possibly, what could possibly matter about my life? So what I've discovered is that most people believe in God, even though they don't know that. And I call this kind of like the symptoms of a believer. You know, I'm not going to ask a person, do you believe in God? I'm going to say, let's see if you have, so to speak, the symptoms, although that sounds like a sickness. Let's call it the indicators of a believer. If you believe that your life matters and you believe that the life of other people matter, if you believe that good should rule the world supremely, if you believe that we should all uh, live in service of bringing greater good to the world, and what are the ingredients of greater good? Greater good is to bring more wisdom to the world and more understanding to the world and more compassion to the world. And Well, then that's what it means to serve God. But most people, to serve God is to serve some particular being somewhere in heaven who's got some very big ego, who's been telling everybody what to do, and then threatening everybody if they don't do what he wants them to do. Right. So that's where we begin by clarifying what do we actually mean when we say God? All we know about God is his midos. And what we know about his midos is that he doesn't have them, he is them, although they are not him. He's much greater than them. And therefore, to serve God, to believe in God. So then, who do I talk to? I talk to the source of all good. I talk to the source that, that inspires me to be good. And I talk to God. Do I exactly know who I'm talking to? No, but then again, I'm talking to you. I don't exactly know who I'm talking to either. <laughs> You know, I mean, basically, we talk to someone, we see their nose, we see their eyes, we see their face. I'm not talking to your face, I'm talking to you. Uh, but I know that you are much more than your face, you know. And so, I talk to Hashem. Considering the, that you're putting forward the omnipresent, omniscient, and benevolent God, how do you deal with the student who says, yeah, I believe, but I have doubts? How can I be a Baal Ma'amin? How can I be someone who believes if I have doubts about God or there are things that I feel that are terrible in the world that really challenge my beliefs? Good. Well, I would first say, guess what? I have doubts also. Um, and, and that doesn't bother me. In fact, I, I would say probably the most transformational moment of my life. I, you know, I grew up, uh, my mother's a survivor of the Holocaust. And I remember hearing my mother screaming in the middle of the night, having dreams about the concentration camp. And so that, you know, the Holocaust was a huge, huge, huge block to my emuna and uh, my interest or, or love for God. And uh, I remember the first time I woke up to my mother screaming and I was bombarded with questions, is there a God? And if there is a God, is he good? And if he's good, why is the world so bad? And if we're the chosen people, I wish he chose somebody else. And that was, you know, that was God for me. And somebody, uh, when I was about 17 years old, said, you know, there's a wonderful rabbi here in Toronto. And his name is Rabbi Glukowski. Today, it's, we add Zichronel Racha. And you can go to his home on Shabbat, knock on his door, complete stranger, say you'd like to talk to him. Why don't you just ask him about belief. So I did. And um, he was an elderly man. And I said, you know, Rabbi, um, I want to know how you believe in God after the Holocaust. 
And when I say that, I saw genuine pain on his face. And he dropped his head and he rocked back and forth. And he said, uh, you think I can explain God after the Holocaust? Do you think the Holocaust doesn't challenge my faith every day? I don't know. I don't know. That was the best answer I got. See, had he started to give me some kind of, well, the Jews should have gone to Israel, or because the Jews assimilated, or because of the reform movement, or some other ridiculous answer that as if human beings could understand. When I saw a man who had faith and could say, and yet I'm challenged in my faith, I said, okay, that's real. That's honest. And I understood that faith is like courage. A fellow has no awareness of uh, fear, of threat. Uh, and, and he runs in the middle of the battlefield and saves his unit. But he, has no, he doesn't know anything about fear. We wouldn't call that courage. Courage is when a person is able to overcome fear. If a person didn't have fear, it wouldn't be courage. Okay? And, um, and so too, emunah includes doubt. If I didn't have doubt, then when would I show faith? Now, I'm not talking about a leap of faith. I'm not saying, well, the doubt is so overwhelming that I, 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 I can't believe. No, there are times of doubt. And yet there's enough good reasons to believe that when I am riddled with doubt, I say, you know what? But I choose to believe. And one of the things most people don't realize in their life is the absolutely most important choice in our life, which is going to determine the quality of our life and the quality of every other choice in our life is what we choose to believe. And that's the choice of choices. What do you choose to believe? I'm not talking about flipping a coin, but um, just like they say, you know, how does the believer explain all the bad in the world? And I can say, well, how does the non-believer explain all the good in the world? You know, in the end, even if it was 50-50, I have to make a choice. And why not make a choice that I could live the best life by? What is a better choice? What is the most responsible choice? Um, you know, I, I, I was, I was, and I still am a very philosophical guy, but I was always a philosophical guy, kid. And, and, um, and it took me a while to realize what I call responsible philosophizing. Kind of like responsible drinking. You know, don't drink and drive. You know, don't philosophize and then try and live a meaningful life without, you know, realizing what are the implications of your philosophy. You have to philosophize responsibly. Are your beliefs giving your life greater vitality, giving you the capacity to be more resilient in difficult and painful times? Does your belief give you a reason to really get out of bed in the morning and be excited about the possibilities of life? Or do your beliefs discourage you, disempower you, depress you? Interesting, they're all D words, you know? Uh, it's all, and, and we don't realize that this is the choice. Now, I'm not saying make an irresponsible choice, but I think there's certainly at least enough good evidence that there is a God 
as much as you might want to present evidence that there isn't, although I think there's a lot more evidence. In fact, what I'm doing right now during this corona time is I decided to take a crash course in anatomy, you know, physiology and anatomy, because I thought, you know, that would boost my amuna. And it's unbelievable. It's just blowing my mind. I just, I, 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 I can't even pronounce most of these words, you know? But once they start talking about the nervous system and the different types of nervous system, and the, it's just, it is so overwhelmingly brilliant that one stands speechless before the miracle that I am. And so when I begin to understand what it takes for me to just bend my finger, and I realize, wow, I am a living manifestation of infinite wisdom. Why should I think that the events in the universe or the events in my life are any less a manifestation of the very wisdom that I am a walking manifestation of? And so the fact that there's things that I don't understand, uh, why should I think, I, if, I, if I look at my body and I don't understand it, then why should I think that I should understand the, the events of history? If I don't understand how life could be, then what right do I have to challenge when life is no longer? You know, death is very painful, and, and it, it's, 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 it's something that is devastatingly sad, but, but it's if, as if I'm understanding any of this. So... I think a person has to realize that emuna is a choice. I, don't, I think most people don't realize that they, they don't really so much have a choice in that because if deep down inside you want to believe that your life matters, then you need to understand that that's already an indicator that you are already a believer. But, um, you know, I, someone recently contacted me who's had an extremely difficult life, one of the most difficult lives I've ever heard in my life. And, you know, as a rabbi, you hear the stories because people only talk to you about their problems. They never tell you how things are going well. They'll call you only when it's bad. But, and so this person has shared with me just the most horrible, horrible, horrible things in, in her life. And I said, look, it, you have a choice. What I'm about to share is not proving there's a God. But, but I want you to hear this. This is your choice. Either there is no God and your life and my life and this entire universe is an accident and it came from nowhere, it goes from nowhere. Now, when you think that thought, how does that make you feel? She says, I'm devastated. I said, okay. You could choose to think something else. You could think that there's a God and he got tired of this world and he abandoned it. And he's abandoned you. And we're all abandoned and we're floating in a, in a starship that has no captain. When you think that thought, how do you feel? She says, terrible. Oh, how sad. I, 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 I feel hopeless. I said, okay. Or you could choose to think that there is a God, he created the world, and he enjoys torturing people. He's evil, and his greatest joy is to see you in all this pain. Uh, and he hates you. You could believe that. Uh, but when you think that thought, how do you feel? She says, oh my gosh, incredibly depressed. I, I don't think I could go on living if I thought that. I said, okay. Or you could think that there is a God and God is infinitely wise and that his wisdom is well beyond our wisdom and well beyond our capacity to 
understand his ways. And, but his ways are good, and his future for us is bright. And he's always and he's only on your side. And whatever hurt you're feeling is always really in the intention of healing you on some very deep level. When you think that thought, how do you feel? She says, well, that gives me hope. I said, okay, I didn't prove there's a God, but I did prove what's the best choice. And so um, you got to make a choice. What are you going to believe in? So it, it, based on that thought, do you embed teaching about God in every topic, like in Chumash, in Navi, teaching about God in that way? Or is, is it that you specifically need to have a Hashkafa class where you really talk about Amuna or Musar directly in, in a very separate way? I think that we need to bring God into all our topics. But what it means to bring God in all our topics is, if to talk about God is to talk about love, peace, compassion, truth, then we're always talking about God. Most people didn't know, oh, oh, we were just talking about God. Because they think only if we talk about Avinu Sheba Shemaim, we're talking about God. But if we understand that God is his Midos and God is his Ratzon, and if I'm talking about, you know, Hashem's Ratzon and Hashem's Midos, we're talking about Hashem. So that should be brought into everything, and people should understand that whatever we're talking about, even when we're learning anatomy, we're, we're really learning about God because we are literally witnessing infinite wisdom at work, infinite wisdom at work. However, I, I think our generation is, and it's going to be now even more because after this Corona disaster, it, Amuna, you know, people have literally seen the, the worst of the worst. My friend's father, uh, Nebuch, just passed away. Sorry. His father didn't pass away from Corona. People actually still die for other reasons. Uh, his father was 93, so it wasn't a big surprise, but his father uh, suddenly was diagnosed with cancer, and within a couple of weeks, he was gone. It was 12 days before he could be buried. The Hever Kedisha was so backed up that his father couldn't be buried for 12 days. So people are witnessing really very, very, very disturbing, devastating, depressing experiences. There's no way that there isn't going to be a surge of questions, a lot of hurt, a lot of anger, resentment, and... Um, so we all more now really need to address this because this is now going to come up very much so. It won't be a theoretical question. It'll be extremely, extremely timely because people are seeing when, they're, when, when is their Amuna challenged when they see things not go. You know, when they see the sunrise and sunset, oh, big deal. But when suddenly things don't go well, it's like, oh, my, oh, you bet. When I witness my daily health, uh, but when suddenly I'm not well, hey. So, okay, that's the way we are. I'm, I'm not so different. So we're going to be having a lot of questions. And I think we need to seriously develop courses that address the big question, the wise question. We, you know, some people call me a wise guy because I'm a guy about, you know, the whys. Why did Hashem create the world? Why is there so much pain in the world? You know, why did God command us? Why did God choose us? Uh, and, and I think 
we need to be brave to encourage the students to ask questions. Because I've met a lot of students that felt that questions were not welcomed and, uh, and, they, were, and they were very discouraged. And uh, it, it, that's so not Jewish, you know, we just had Pesach. And, and what, is it, what is the definition of freedom? You know, we, we, we have the children start off with the four questions. And, and that's a symbol of freedom. A, a slave has no questions. Nobody cares about your questions and you can't ask any questions. Free people, especially if you're a Torah Jew and you realize that we, we, this, this question is sacred and we need to encourage these kids to, how are you feeling about God? Because I think there's going to be a lot of hidden, a lot of repressed feelings, and that's just going to get us later on, or maybe not even so later on. So let's talk about how are you feeling? When you think about God and you think about Corona, what comes, what, what comes up in your heart and in your mind? And we need to really, in a very systematic way, address those questions. So... Just thinking about this, when you, how do you touch on the presence of tragedy and evil in the way that you're talking about? Because it's one thing to say that we're all trying to feel good and be uplifted, et cetera, but there are people who hoarded medicines and people who made choices that were terrible for other people. How do we, how do we deal with those type of situations where it's not just our one-on-one, -on -one, but we're looking at the rest of the world and how they reacted in certain ways? All right. Well, so... Some questions get an answer, some questions get a class, and some questions get a course. That's kind of like a course question. And uh, I don't want it to sound like I'm dodging the question, but I think it's important that even when people ask questions, the, the deepest of the deepest questions deserve uh, time to develop premises. And um, I, you know, I could give an answer in a couple of minutes, but I don't think that's a good idea. I think we have to first start talking about why did Hashem create a world with choice? You know, one of the things I don't like about question and answers is um, it's like someone walking into a course in neurology and say, well, you know, and they're in the middle of the course and say to the professor, can I ask a bunch of questions? Like, it's a course, man. Like, there's basic foundations that we have to put in place this terminology that we have to define. And then within that, we can ask questions. And within that, we probably won't even have questions because in a very comprehensive, systematic way, we will set down premises. And the first premise that we have to set down is why did God create the world? And, and, and the first thing we need to clarify there is when we say, why did God create the world? We don't mean for what motive, because then the prime mover would be moved. God doesn't have a motive. Nothing moves him. When we ask, why did a person do it? What pushed him to do it? Nothing pushed Hashem to do anything. So when we say, why does Hashem create the world? It's not what motivated him, but for what purpose? And we could, and then build from there. Okay, well, if that's the purpose, then what about this? What about that? But I, I think it's important that people understand, and I think our students need to understand, that this is deep. You wouldn't expect 
to 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 uh, do brain surgery after watching a YouTube video. You know, you know, you just don't do that. And I think that we've taken a Muna, and we have given it a um, a very low profile, as if it's not something that deserves the same type of rigorous analysis and discussion and clarity as any other topic. And so uh, I think we have to be very careful that we don't give Pat answers. I'm still not sure who Pat is. I haven't met Pat. But, uh, you know, but Pat's got all these answers, and they don't make people happy. But, uh, you know, it's, um, I, I think we have to let our students understand that to discuss Hashem is, is a very responsible, serious endeavor. And it demands and it deserves time. And it's something that we're going to encourage you to challenge and to digest. And, um, and, and then uh, explore practical applications of what, uh, what these ideas would mean in your daily life. And this is a course. And I, and I, I remember I uh, was asked to develop a course for school on prayer. And I, I, and I said to the principal that I don't think you need a course in prayer. I think you need a course in God. And he said, well, you're right, but we've been given money for a course in prayer. And the parents want a course in prayer. I said, but how can you teach prayer when they don't know who they're talking to? And <clears throat> they don't know why he'd be interested in listening to them. And they don't know why in the world would he even respond to them. So how are you going to talk about prayer if you're not going to talk about God? So I said, you know what? I'll make you a deal. There was, supposed to be, uh, there was supposed to be 15 units. So I said, let's do the first five units about God. It's about prayer, of course, but in order to pray, you got to know who you're talking to. So this is about prayer. And then the next two units will be the meaning of mitzvah, which, of course, it's a course on prayer. So prayer is a mitzvah. So what's a mitzvah? And then we'll do a shir on what is prayer itself. And then we'll take some selections from the siddur and understand it. So we were able to actually get one third of the course to be about God, at least, and, and a little bit more on prayer and mitzvahs in general. Anyways, one of the teachers who was trained in the course said, you know, Rabbi Aaron, um, you're brilliant. I said, well, thank you. <laughs> Why are you so sure about that? I'll tell my mother. Uh, I, she said, uh, you're brilliant. Um, I said, why? She said, I would never have thought of starting a course on prayer with God. That's brilliance. But then she said, but why did we have to spend five units on God? Couldn't we have taken care of the God topic in one session? I said, honestly, it should have been all 15 and then a second 15. I, I think we are really, really underestimating what it means to study a Munah. And Munah is a serious study, and it, and it deserves and it demands serious attention and, and, and appropriate time. And it's the context. It contextualizes all of, of our life. And if we're not going to be brave enough to really talk about this to the students and discuss with the students, what do they feel when they say God? What does the word God mean to them intellectually, emotionally, spiritually? What questions arise in their heart when they think the word God? 
um, what are the questions that if they could get answered would make a difference in the quality of their life? And one of the things I've experienced in the last number of years of, you know, having a Shiva of gap year, a lot of kids have not formulated their questions. It's almost as if they gave up on questioning God. And uh, that's not good because that really means they gave up on God without realizing it. Rabbi, this has been really incredibly helpful. I, I can't express to you enough how much I appreciate your being able to elucidate these ideas and really help Thank share you. it with everyone. Um, is there anything you want to add before we conclude? Yeah, well, you didn't ask me if I believe in God. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've already told me you don't believe in God, you believe in Hashem. That was before. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much for doing this because I think this is the foundation of the foundation. You know, Rav Cook has an incredible article that everybody needs to learn, Yisurim Mimarkim, where he talks about um, the divine providence behind atheism. Uh, I call the class based on the um, uh, on that article. I call it "Thank God for Atheism," and essentially he talks about how all problems, international problems, personal problems, are all rooted in the confusion regarding our understanding of who is God. He says all problems, and 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 until we really face that, we we will just be looking at symptoms, but not really getting to the root of the issue. The issue is Yiddishkeit is about a relationship with Hashem. It is about being in service of God. And, uh, and unless I can have clarity on what does that mean, I don't have the context that is essential for the rest of all of Jewish life. Rabbi, thank you very much for everything. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All the best.